And this morning we continue our series in Mark as we study the homecoming of Jesus in Mark chapter six, verses one through six. After displaying the power of his word and the authority of his kingdom, we discover Jesus marveling at the lack of faith in his hometown of Nazareth. Will our familiarity with Jesus cause us to miss the power of the word of our King too? May we all have hearts that receive the word of God. Now to, if we turn our hearts to Mark chapter six, verses one through six. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he could do no mighty work in there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good morning again. And my name is Joe Moore, and I'm kind of in transition on my title, so I don't know what to say. Uh, I, am, I am called, but not yet installed as assistant pastor of older adults and congregational care. And I'm excited to be here in the contemporary service today. And this is me being excited. <laughs> you know, you need to know something about me. I'm a vanilla kind of personality. And this is me being excited, and I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, I, I am normally in the traditional service, and I enjoy being there, but I'm looking around the room as, as I'm preparing to come up here, and I'm seeing a lot of faces that I haven't seen for a long time because I haven't been in uh, the contemporary service for a while. And it's so good to see all of you, and I am truly excited to be here. And I hope that you will be excited to have been here when we get, get to the end of the service. As you notice, uh, we will be serving communion today. And as we work with communion, you will be dismissed to come down front and you will take the bread and take the cup, hold on to it when you get back to your seat. And then at, at a point in the communion service, we will share in the bread and the cup together. So remember that you are to hold it and take it back to your seat, and we will share together as a congregation in that. We're continuing our study in Mark, and, and I would encourage you to go back and read through the book of Mark uh, up to the place where we're going to be for each Sunday. Maybe Saturday night or when you get up Sunday morning or, or sometime between now and next Sunday, do a review of where we have been in the book of Mark. Do a review of what has happened in the life and ministry of Jesus uh, in, in the whole book of Mark. Um, he, he came out of Nazareth. 
He went from there and was baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, the Spirit then whisked him away into the wilderness. And he was there for 40 days. And he came back and began a ministry in Galilee. And, this, and he came proclaiming, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus proceeds throughout Galilee, calling his disciples, healing, casting out unclean spirits, healing people who are sick and crippled. He also teaches with authority, using stories that challenge how things were normally taught. He took command over the natural world when he, he calmed the, the seas and he stopped the wind. Crowds follow him and they develop wherever he is in attendance or wherever he arrives. And in each town, he went to the synagogue to, to do his teachings. So now his homecoming to Nazareth is, is the same. He's coming back to, to where he grew up. He's coming back to, to where his family lived. He's coming back to where people should be familiar with him. Now, I don't know what homecoming is like for you. I know many of you are college students. When you go, from, from go home for break or vacation, what is that homecoming like? You know, you're here, you're here, here in college, pretty independent. You go home, and I know there's always somebody there that remembers you as a child. Uh, they're the pinch, the, the cheek pinching ants who say, oh, you're still so cute. Or there's always someone who's going to say to you, I remember changing your diaper. <laughs> and that's what you just, you want to hear as a 22, 23 year old. And when, when you go home for a homecoming, there may be mixed emotions of, of what is going to take place when you see certain people. There may be feelings of, of what are they going to think when they learn how I've grown and how I've changed. Now, we don't know that any of those feelings were going on in the heart and mind of Jesus. Jesus was beginning to, to make a name for himself. Jesus was beginning to do things that were being noticed by people everywhere. And it's likely that a lot of this news has gotten back to Nazareth. I don't know what it was like when Jesus came into the city, his disciples were following him. There were likely other people who were following him. And here are the people that know him best or knew him when he was younger, watched him run around. And here Jesus is coming with disciples, with a crowd following them. I don't know if that brought fear into the hearts of people who lived in Nazareth as they started to see this whole entourage coming. And Jesus, I don't know, we don't know what he was thinking, but he went directly to the synagogue like he does in every city that he visits. It says in verse 1, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Jesus came back to his hometown, and he went to the synagogue. Whether he was asked to come and preach, whether he, he suggested that he come and preach, and what was on the hearts and minds 
of the people of, of Nazareth? Were they beginning to say, we want to find out if all these things we're hearing about Jesus is true? What about those things about the wind and the waves and, and healing people? And so they, they, he gets to the synagogue and he starts sharing. And people are hearing the message. And I expect that at the beginning they're thinking, well, this is good. This is, this is good to hear. Um, he, he is speaking truth. It may be truth different than what we have heard in the past, but he is speaking truth. They begin to say to themselves, where did this man get these things? What wisdom has been given to him? And how are such mighty acts, so such mighty works being done by his hands? As they're hearing it, as it may be making sense to them, as it, it may be touching their hearts, they're beginning to maybe think about the changes in their life the changes in their thinking, the changing in their lifestyles that may need to take place in order to be a follower of Jesus. Did any of you go through that? Did any of you experience that as you heard the good news that there might be a need and begin to understand that there might be a need for some changes in your life in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And I don't know about you, but for me, it didn't happen overnight. But I knew at one point that I needed to make some changes in my life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And as he began to teach, many of them were astonished at what he was saying. And when they started to reject the message or started to doubt the message, or not, be, not wanting to, to actually adhere to the message or make the changes that the message was compelling them to make, they started beating up on the messenger. If I can discredit the messenger, then maybe I can discredit the message. If I can determine that this person doesn't really know what they're talking about, then the things that are maybe stirring my heart to change, I can forget about. I don't have to worry about them. And so they begin saying things like, is, this, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joas, Judas, and Simeon? And are not his sisters here with us? They're beginning to, to look at Jesus not as the Son of God, not as a prophet, not as a rabbi, but as an ordinary person just like them. Because that's how they remembered him. That's how they saw him as they were growing up. And these were not necessarily, they were descriptive labels, but they were de derogatory labels. When they said, isn't this the carpenter? They were likely saying, he's just a construction worker. Can you imagine a construction worker coming to you and trying to, to, to teach you deep truths? The, the carpenter was not necessarily the highest job uh, on the list. And so they're saying, how could this carpenter 
He's not educated as a teacher or a rabbi. How could he be saying these things? And then they said, well, isn't he Mary's son? Why didn't they say, isn't this Joseph's son? There's speculation or understanding that, that Joseph had probably died at this time. And Jesus, as the older brother took over, older son took over the business. And, and the other piece is when they say, isn't he Mary's son? It reflects back to the question about the legitimacy of Jesus' birth. Because the story was that Joseph wasn't the father of Jesus. Now, how the townspeople understood that, and it could be going back to them saying, ah, how could someone who has questions about the legitimacy of his birth be saying these things that are stirring in me to make changes? If I can discredit him, I don't have to listen to that. And then the other thing was that they're saying, don't we see his brothers and sisters here among us? How is he any different from us? How can he be the son of God if he's the brother of the brothers and sisters that are here with us? To me, that, that solidifies for me his humanness. It's important that we understand that Jesus was completely human and completely God in human form. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. So for me, it's not a distraction to know that Jesus has brothers and sisters. To me, that's an encouragement that he has a completely human side. Although he is completely God in that human form. And so when I begin to wonder if Jesus knows anything about me and what I'm going through, that confirms to me that he does because he understands his humanness. James, his brother, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem and authored the book of James. And Jude was the author of the next to the last book in the Bible, Jude. So his brothers, those brothers, were actively involved in the mission and ministry of the church. His family connection does not minimize his credibility for me. It maximizes his humanness. But when they began to reject the message, they found ways to justify rejecting the messenger. Familiarity breeds contempt. Have you ever been in a situation where you're so familiar with someone and even though they're saying good things, you wonder, how can I trust them? Or maybe you've been in a situation where you're trying to share with someone and they're feeling that way about you. Isn't this the person that I knew? In October of next year, um, I've been invited to attend my 50th reunion from high school. Yeah, 50. <laughs> I don't even remember high school. <laughs> and I clearly, I don't know because 
I flew under the wire. I was as vanilla then as I am now. <laughs> and I flew under the wire in high school. And if I walked into a room of people from my high school for the 50th reunion, I don't think anybody would know who I was. I don't think anybody would care who I was. And I'm not sure that I want to set myself up for that kind of rejection. Homecomings and familiarity are not necessarily always good. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced trying to share with someone from your heart what you have learned about Jesus who is, who is roadblocked by what they know about you? But I know what happened in your life back then. And they're not willing to say, wow, that's exciting that you've overcome that. Why is it that when we, we begin to take a look at someone's past, we, we, we reduce them to being a part of that past instead of seeing them elevated for having gotten through that past? I think that's what the people of Nazareth were doing with Jesus. Instead of being excited for what was going on in his life and ministry, they were beginning to take offense. They were beginning to discredit what Jesus was saying because they knew his roots. They knew his origins. And we know that the Holy Spirit was not grabbing their hearts to help them understand who Jesus was. And Jesus, took, Jesus knew that they were taking offense at him. And he said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Jesus recognized that they were not responding to him in the way that he hoped they would. He recognized that they were not receiving his message. John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus knows that, that the world is not going to be, always be receptive. It's demonstrated here even in the person of Jesus Christ. They, were, they didn't reject Jesus at first. They rejected the message. And then when they rejected the message, they rejected the messenger. So what that says to me in my own ministry and my own talking with folks is that it's not about me. It's about the message. And we need to be clear when we, we preach the message that it's clear and that it's true and that we don't get discouraged because it's not about me, it's about the message. And Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't throw in the towel. He, said, he didn't say, oh, my, my friends and my family and the people who know me well in Nazareth are rejecting me. I must have made a mistake. I must have made a mistake. No, Jesus went on to continue teaching in the villages. It also says that because of the rejection, 
because of the unbelief that he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, I'd be excited if I could walk into a church and lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. I wouldn't say, oh, I didn't do a mighty work here. But what Jesus is saying and what this is telling us about Jesus, that the nature of the unbelief, the nature of the resistance to the truth, hindered, hindered the message and the good news of Jesus Christ. He was not able to do great and mighty works, except that he laid hands on a few people. The unbelief of these people hindered the work that he was able to do. How might that apply to us today? Do we believe wholeheartedly that we are together in mission and on a mission for Jesus Christ as a body of Christ? And are we in it together or are there pockets of unbelief? Are there pockets of, of disagreeability? Are there pockets of misunderstandings? The church is crippled when we are not united in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we come to communion today, as we, as we come to this table today, this is a unifying table for the church. And as we worship together, and I'm not saying that, that it's not possible. I'm not saying that, that it, it, it isn't possible for us to disagree. But we shouldn't be disagreeable. We shouldn't be disagreeable with each other. And in that disagree, disagreeability or disagreeable, in that causing unbelief or causing disunity, I think there's the potential for limiting the, the ability to do great things, to be limiting the, limiting the ability to do mighty works. God has called us to be united. God has called us to be together. God has called us to be one. And in that being one, we need to communicate with each other. We need to talk with each other. We need to settle our disputes and our disagreements in order for the message to go forward out of this place because we are united together in it and to see God do great things. We are seeing God do great things through our church. And it's because there is a united front in so many ways that carry us, carries us forward. But imagine if we were taking, having short accounts on our disagreements with each other, what God could do. I believe that God calls us together to deal with our unbelief so that his mission and message and the ability to move forward is not hindered. When we come against resistance to our faith and to our testimony, how does it affect us? Where can we turn for an example to deal with the discouragement? Who do we look to for the courage, the empowerment, 
and the example to persevere and move forward. I say to you, it's right here at this table. It's right here at this table where we are coming together today to, to join together in communion. And not only in communion with God, but in communion and community with each other. My heart, and I feel that one of the most important things that we can do together as a church is to come together around this table. And this isn't the table of First Presbyterian Church. This is the table of God. And if you are committed to Christ and, and are moving forward in your relationship with him, then we certainly invite you to come. Because it is in what we see in the bread, the broken body of Jesus Christ, and in the cup, his shed blood for us, that the unity comes because of the power and authority of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the power and authority that breaks through the unbelief, that breaks through our disagreements, that gives us the opportunity to see through things so that we can see each other. To not react to the message by discrediting the messenger, but to react to the message by trying to understand the messenger and being willing to enter into a personal relationship with them. And that's what Jesus has done for us in his willingness to die. But he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. And that's what we celebrate here. And this table is a reminder to us that his body was broken and his blood was shed so that we could be set free from our sins and experience the fullness of life each and every day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we gather around this table, we pray that you would unite our hearts, that you would empower us to be involved with each other, that you would equip us to reach out to people around us, and that you would make known your message of repentance and salvation. We're thankful for, for Jesus' willingness to die for us. And we're thankful for God's steadfast love that endures in our hearts forever. As we come to this table, help us to remember. Help us to remember that from this table comes healing. From this table comes forgiveness. From this table comes unity. We pray for those that that are in need of your healing touch in their lives. Isaiah tells us that by his stripes, we are healed. From this table, there is healing. And we lift those up to you that need your special touch in their hearts and their lives. 
physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus died for that. We pray for those who have lost loved ones or experienced the loss of friends. Thank you that this table represents eternal life and resurrection. And I pray that, that the understanding of the hope that is in Christ will give hope to those that have lost ones that they love, but they haven't lost them completely. And they can grieve, but they don't grieve without hope. Father, there's power and authority from this table. Remind us of the power and authority from this table that takes care of the issues that we face day to day. There, there is healing for countries. There is healing for the world situation. There is healing because we know that you are sovereign. Help us to rest in your sovereignty. We pray that you would use the situations of the world to, to bring about what you need to bring about in order to usher in your kingdom. Help us to rest in the sovereignty that is, that is in you as we look at the world around us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us as we come together to share in the bread and in the cup. And that your Holy Spirit would empower us, would come upon us, and would show us that there is spiritual nurture in this bread and this cup. Pray that your Holy Spirit would, would be with us as we eat this bread and drink this cup, and that today we would truly commune with you in these elements. We ask your blessing on this time together, and we pray that you would go before us and remind us of your love for us and the power and authority of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.